0: Good morning and welcome and thank you for listening in to our Sunday morning service here at Elgin Baptist Church. I would like to begin this morning by reading from Psalm 148, after which we're going to sing two songs of praise. Psalm 148 Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights above, praise him all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths. Lightning and hail. Snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit, trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendour is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints, of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Let's do that as we sing, first of all, all creatures of our God and King, followed by how great thou art. Let's join together in prayer our god and our father we count it a great joy and privilege to come in to your most holy and awesome presence and even as that psalmist has reminded us you are the one who is worthy of all our praise you are the great god you are the creator and you are the sustainer and as we come to you we come in and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, the life, the one who is the good shepherd, the one who loves us and cares for us. And Lord, we come to thank you for all your blessings to us. We realise that we are indeed a blessed people. We thank you for health and strength for soundness of mind and body. We thank you for the food and the clothing that you give us. And Lord, we we thank you that that even though we're not able to physically gather together to praise and worship you in the one building, we thank you that we can gather like this and we pray that you would draw near to us and make this indeed a blessed hour. We do pray for our nation and for our world at this time. We pray for a, an end, Lord, an end to, to, to this COVID-19. We, we ask that you would stretch forth that mighty right hand and, Lord, that, that you would eh, bring it to a halt. We pray for those who are suffering, Lord. We pray for those who, who are in hospital. We pray for those, Lord, who are grieving, who have lost loved ones eh, through this recent crisis. And again, we remember those who are uh, working in in our hospitals and and, and in shops and in various modes of transport and pray and and care homes and pray your blessing and your protection upon them. we pray that you would forgive us, forgive us for all our sins and shortcomings, Lord. We thank you that with you there is indeed uh, forgiveness. We thank you. Your word tells us that if, if we confess our sins, you're the one who is faithful and just. And who will forgive us and so we come to you this morning and we just ask that you would be with us and make this a blessed time uh, we just uh, remind ourselves of how uh, when the disciples came to you Lord and and they said Lord Lord teach us to pray and and, and you gave them a, as it were a model of, of prayer and, and, and so we just would say and pray uh, that even now as, as we as we say our father in heaven hallowed your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and forever amen It is important, I believe, that our children uh, feel part of this service. And so, once again, we are going to sing along to to the theme song from the material that they are currently using. It's a great little song with even greater truth. So let's once again sing uh, the salvation poem. This morning's reading is taken from the book of... Revelation, and it's from chapter 2, and I would like to just read the first seven verses. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent, and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practice of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It goes without saying that these are days of great uncertainty. And that can bring about much fear and much anxiety. Yet as Christians we have the great assurance that the Lord will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And yet sometimes if we're honest, it feels that, that we are, as it were, hanging on by our fingertips. Yet the great truth, friends, is that God has a firm hold upon us. In Psalm 139, verse 10, the psalmist reminds us that you—that your, that is God's right hand, will hold me fast. And in Psalm 18, we are reminded that the Lord is my rock in whom I take refuge. Both of these great truths, indeed both of these two great realities are what we are going to sing about now. The first song is He Will Hold Me Fast, followed by O Lord, My Rock and My Redeemer. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you and we ask for the help and for the enabling of the Holy Spirit, for speaker and hearer alike. We pray that you would take these words and empower them and speak into our hearts, into our lives, into our situations. And we pray it, Lord, for our good, but ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. We were reminding ourselves last Sunday that Jesus is Lord over all. That he is ruling, that he is reigning, and and that one day he is returning. That his is the victory. And we, as his church, are to be like lampstands, shining forth the glorious hope of the gospel. Paul, writing in Colossians, reminds us that Jesus is the head of the church. And as verse 14 of Revelation 1 reminds us, his eyes that are like blazing fire sees everything. And what we have in the next two chapters of Revelation is letters that are written to seven actual churches. Seven churches that were situated in in Asia Minor, And and whose letters and whose message is, I believe, as relevant for us today as it it was when they were first written and received from these seven churches. Each of the, the letters follow a very similar pattern, that there is a greeting to the angel of the church. There is a description of the risen Christ that is taken from what John has already revealed in chapter 1 about Jesus. And then it is followed by Jesus saying, I know. Then there is a commendation for each of the churches, apart from that in Lydia's here. There is a criticism of the churches, apart from Smyrna and Philadelphia. And the letters finish with both a warning and a promise. And John is told to write what he has seen. We looked at that last week. He saw that glorious revelation of the all-conquering, ruling, reigning Jesus. And he's to write what is now and what will take place. And so it covers past, it covers present, and it covers future. And the first of these letters is addressed to the church. At Ephesus, where it is widely held that John served many years there as a bishop. Uh, The city of of Ephesus was was a major cosmopolitan commercial city. It was also the home of the temple of, of, of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. And it was like many a modern day city. That there was much going on in Ephesus politically, commercially, and, and, and religiously. And I want to just share with you this morning three things from this letter. We will read of praise, then of a problem, and then the promise. Firstly then, praise. The description given here of Jesus is as described in verses 12, verses 16, and verses 20 of chapter 1. And here is Jesus present in the very midst of the churches. He he walks among the seven golden lampstands. The church is his. He loves it. He cares for it. He gave his life for it. It is precious to him. And brothers and sisters, it should be precious to us also. And as Lord of the church, he knows what is going on. He knows where they are at. He knows what they are going through. And that should give us great encouragement also. And so Jesus, in many ways, is giving, if you like, a report card on the church. Do you remember them from your school days? Or if you're like me, you're probably better to forget your report cards. But it starts off, at least this report card starts off really well. In fact, it seems that they would get an A. Because notice what Jesus' verdict of this church is. He says, I know your deeds, I know your hard work, and I know your perseverance. And and he goes on, it gets kind of better. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. That, that you have tested those who, who claim to be apostles, but, but are not and have found them false. You, you have endured hardships for my name. You, you have not grown weary. It's, it's maybe even an A plus that they're getting here. It seems to me that this was a church that was rooted and was grounded in both the service of God and in the scriptures of God. And in, in, in regards to service, they, they were committed Jesus speaks of their deeds, their hard work, their perseverance, even to the point of enduring hardship. That this is a hard-working church. That they are no doubt a busy church. The church calendar would be packed with activities. And Jesus sees that and and, and he knows that and and he praises them for it. You know, it is good and it is right and proper to, to, to be busy, to serve the Lord. And that is something that all Christians are called to do. We are to serve. We are to persevere. We are to endure. And indeed we're reminded from verse six of chapter one, that that is why Jesus saved us in the first place. The great little verse, to to him, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests. Why? Why did he save us? In order to serve his God and Father. Are you serving Jesus? Are you involved in his mission? We are called, each one of us, to serve. But we also see that they were sound doctrinally. That is, they they did not tolerate those who were false prophets. And to know what is false, you need to know first what is true. And this was a church that knew their scriptures. This was a church that knew what they believed. The apostle Paul spent a great deal of time in Ephesus. He wrote them a letter, the the book of Ephesians. And and in them he warned the elders of the church, as as he bid them farewell, he warned them to be on their guard. And he said, because I know after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, even from your own number. Men will rise up and distort the truth. John, in his first letter, encouraged them to test the spirits. And this church was on the ball in regards to that doctrinally. So so we have here a church that is committed, as I have said, to both service and to scripture. You know, it would probably be hard to imagine a more faithful church. And Jesus recognises this. Jesus sees this. Jesus praises them for it. What does he see and what would he say in regards to Elgin Baptist Church? What would he say to me, to you, to us concerning service, concerning Scripture? It is hard to see how, in relation to these two important issues, Jesus could say of the church at Ephesus, as my report card often said, must do better. This church, it seems, has got service and their love of Scripture off to a tee. However, we we see that everything is not exactly as it might all seem, because Jesus, secondly, identifies a problem. Verses 4 and 5. Jesus, the one who knows all things, who sees all things, says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. And Jesus calls on them to do two things. To remember and to repent. See, friends, all their good service, all their grasp of Scripture was not sufficient to excuse what they were doing wrong. Their problem is a lack. love. But what is meant by forsaking your first love? Well I think, believe, it refers primarily to their love of and for the Lord Jesus. Seems to me they had become so busy they lost the love that they first had. A verse of an old hymn comes to mind Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul refreshing view of Jesus, of Jesus and his word? Do you remember when you fell in love with the person you married? Hopefully you married them. Uh, Hopefully you loved them uh, before you, you married them. But do you recall how in those early days... You were just so besotted. It seemed just like nothing else mattered except this relationship. It it, it was exciting. It it was vibrant. It it was openly displayed. You you couldn't wait to tell everybody about it. And very often it is the same with a new Christian. They are so excited. They are so overflowing with thankfulness that it is Jesus and Jesus only. And, and then kind of something happens and, 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 and that honeymoon love, so to speak, is lost. Jeremiah in chapter 2 speaks of that when he says this. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. That is, there is nothing you would not do. There is nowhere that you would not go just to be with that person. And yes, the longer one is married, the more mature the love should grow. But don't lose, don't lose the honeymoon days. Yet there is also the danger of taking the person for granted. We just get into a routine. Or worse still, we get into a rut. And then the relationship is not what it was. The marriage is in danger. Well, I think that is what is meant to forsake your first love. They had all the duties, they had all the doctrine, but the love was gone. You see, we can become comfortable, and things get between us even though here it would seem it was good things, yet the love was forsaken. Is there the danger, friends, we get so caught up in knowing about Jesus, rather than knowing him and loving him for who he really is, that it is all about study and service, both of which, of course, are important, and have their place. Rather than firstly, loving him for who he is and for what he has done. Well, according to Jesus, there is that danger. It is a real danger. Does that speak into your situation this morning? That love that maybe you once had, it just doesn't seem the same wasn't what it once was well if so Jesus has got two words for us remember and repent he says remember the height from which you have fallen that is go back to that first time Go back to when that love was so real. To to that day when you got saved. And and, and as you go back and as you you remember, uh, recall the joy and the freedom and the peace and and the uninhibited love when you first grasped that the Son of God loved you and gave himself for you. I, I remember it well. 7th of June. 1981, the Kelvin Hall in Glasgow. There that Sunday afternoon, God so convicted me of sin and so assured me of his forgiveness and all the joy and the love that flooded my soul. Maybe this morning you need to go back to that place when you first met the Lord. Maybe you need to, for the first time, turn to him and know his love which is a love like no other it's interesting how jesus here speaks of of the height from which you once fell or from which you have fallen yet often it is not if you like a sudden and dramatic fall that causes our love to, be, to, to forsake our love. No, it, it can begin slowly. We can just maybe miss the odd church service. Skip our Bible reading. Miss our small groups. Little bits here and there. And it's not long before the love has been forsaken. It's not long before the love is gone and Jesus warns us about it. If that's the case, then follow Jesus' advice and repent. That is, turn back to him. That is what repent means. You see, here in Ephesus, here is a church strong on service. Here is a church sound in Scripture. Yet Jesus comes and tells them, you have a real problem. You have forsaken your first love. And he lovingly encourages them, challenges them to do something about it. For if not, Jesus says, I will come and remove the lampstand from his place. How is your love for Jesus this morning? I also believe there is justification in thinking that this lack of love also applies to their love for one another. You recall how one day Jesus was asked by a Pharisee, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbour as yourself. And I think the two are interlinked friends. Love Jesus and you will love his people. Forsake your love for Jesus and your love for his people will go the same way. Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I have not love, I gain nothing. Is God saying to you this morning, Remember. is God saying to you this morning, Repent. If so, then don't ignore him. In response to his love for you, give him your love back. But we need to notice that this is not a love at all cost. And it's not love at the cost of truth. Truth and doctrine matter. That, that is why Jesus says after kind of condemning them a little bit here that is why Jesus says but you have this in your favour, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans uh, they were a false sect who, who were spreading uh, a false doctrine and, and, and we'll meet them again uh, when we come to the letter to the church of Pergamum. but however, just as I finish this point, Warren Wearsby comments this labour, labour is no substitute for love and purity is no substitute for passion. There was praise. There was a problem. Finally, there's a promise. Notice how, although written to churches, there is also the individual response that is required. He, she, who has an ear, let him, her, let hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So there's the individual response. Jesus says to those who overcome. You know, friends, we are overcomers. Jesus has won the victory. And his victory is our victory. When we love him, and when we follow him, and when we stick close to him. Victory in Jesus, my Saviour forever and what a promise Jesus gives here he says to this church and he would say to us this morning I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God and in, in paradise back in Gen- back at the beginning back in Genesis 3 verse 8 we read there that God walked in the midst of the garden just as we read here Jesus walks in the midst of his church Yet back there in Genesis, sin and rebellion cast Adam and Eve out. Just as today, sin and rebellion has separated us from God. Yet when we respond in repentance to his love, he welcomes us. Jesus promises a way back. Jesus is promising here life eternal with him in paradise. You see, friends, that which was once cut off from man, that once which was shut up and was guarded by the cherubim, you can read about it in Genesis 3, is now able to be accessed. And the only way to its access is through repenting and trusting and following and loving Jesus. John writes in 1 John four ten. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Such love, such love from God should inspire us never to forsake our first love for him. Brothers and sisters, May we be a church strong, not just in deed and in word, but also in love. And may our lampstand burn brightly to the glory of God and for the good of others. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge that you are indeed Lord of the church. We pray, Father, that you would help us as individuals and as a church to be true to your word, that you would help us to serve you, and that you would help us, Lord, to love you and to love one another until that day that you call us to eat of the tree of life in paradise. Thank you for such love, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Going to finish by singing Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you very much for listening. If you would like more information about us as a church or about the Christian faith, then please do get in contact with us via our website or Facebook page details of which will come up on the screen. God bless each one. Thank you.